Will you turn with, with me in your Bibles to Galatians? Galatians chapter 3. This time we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So you have little ones who are preschool age up through third grade. You can meet in the back for Children's Church. Well, last week before in the uh, early parts of the worship service, we said a prayer for Sean and Leanne Dean. They were, uh, Leanne was in labor uh, last week, and now I am glad to announce that Wilson Tolkien Dean has been born, and he is alive and well and healthy, and he is a pretty cute little kid. We've got a chance to visit him in the hospital, and we are so thankful. God did a miraculous work in the life of the deans. Very, very miraculous. Uh, some of you know or may not know that Leanne did have some complications throughout her preg pregnancy. She was considered a high-risk pregnancy, and yet God, because he is good, because he is merciful, healed her so that she delivered with absolutely no complications at all. And Wilson is alive and well and will be joining our nursery very soon. So, deans, if you are watching this at home, we love you and we're so grateful that Wilson is here with us. Let's give our attention. Yes, you can give that a round of applause. That is good. Well, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. We are doing a sermon series through the book of Galatians. Galatians is a remarkable book, six chapters. And every chapter is a focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like seeing six facets of a diamond, all the different ways that we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to think about the book as a whole in sort of broad strokes, the first two chapters are more or less Paul's autobiography. He talks about his own calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ, his qualifi qualifications to preach the word and the authenticity of the word. The second two chapters are really the theology section of the book. And then the last two chapters, chapters uh, five and six, are about Christian ethics and the Christian life and how we apply the gospel to every aspect of our lives in Christ. So now we begin with chapter 3, the theological heart of the book. Let's read verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Spirit who works faith in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding as we consider these simple, profound, beautiful truths from your word. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
When I was in high school, my friend Sean got hypnotized. We were at Disneyland celebrating grad night, and for some reason we decided to take a break from riding the roller coasters so that we could come inside and watch a magician do a magic show. The magician, as it so happens, was also a hypnotist. He asked for volunteers from the audience. We, they selected my friend Sean, and the rest was history. Now, Sean was a little bit rough around the edges back in those days. We all were. And we were all convinced that this absolutely would not work. The idea of a hypnotist convincing my friend Sean to bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken in front of a room full of people was an absolute impossibility. It would never work. There was 0% chance that this was going to happen. Except it happened. We were 100% wrong. The hypnotist counted down to 10 from 10 and Sean fell asleep. He snapped his fingers and Sean woke up. He said the magic word and Sean stood up and started shouting. He said another magic word and Sean was absolutely convinced that he was in love with the young lady who was sitting beside him. Now, sadly, it didn't work out between the two of them as she was hypnotized to believe that he smelled like the inside of a dirty laundry hamper. It was never meant to be. Now, while he was hypnotized, Sean said things that he would normally never say. He believed things that he would normally never believe. He was mesmerized. He was hypnotized. He was, to use the language of the Apostle Paul, bewitched. That's essentially what happened to the Galatians. Now, they weren't literally hypnotized, of course, but they were mesmerized. They were bewitched. A group of false teachers told them a false story about Jesus and the gospel, and they believed it. They fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Now, here's the backstory. 30 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, 30 years after the Apostle Paul became a Christian on the road to Damascus, this miraculous conversion where he encountered the risen Christ, he saw Jesus face to face. 30 years after that glorious change, Paul planted a series of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Now, at first, the, these Galatian churches were growing, they were thriving. The Galatians loved Jesus. They loved people. They loved their neighbors. They even loved their enemies. They believed that Jesus plus nothing is everything. They embraced the gospel, the glorious truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, the good news that Jesus came to die to save sinners, people like me, people who don't have it all together, people who probably never will. Then a group of false teachers arrived from Jerusalem, and somehow they convinced the Galatians that Jesus isn't enough. They convinced the Galatians that you have to have a religion in order to have a relationship with the living God. They said, if you keep the rules, 
If you get circumcised, if you keep the dietary laws, if you celebrate the Jewish holidays, if you learn to sing the Psalms in Hebrew, if you only use the King James Bible, if you don't take your kids trick-or-treating on Halloween, if you have a fish medallion on your car, if you've learned to kiss dating goodbye, if you buy extra Chick-fil-A sandwiches on Saturday so that you can store them up for Sunday, knowing that God's people do not eat Chick-fil-A on Sunday, then God will love you. Then you'll be part of the family of God. Paul heard about what was happening in these Galatian churches, and he was, he was perplexed. He was astonished. He was beside himself. How could this happen? He planted these churches. He discipled these people. You can hear his frustration in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You saw Jesus. You heard the gospel. What happened? Why would you try to add your good works on top of the finished work of Jesus on the cross? It's like building a house on top of another house that's already there. It's like having a baseball with Babe Ruth's signature on it and then tracing his signature on top of his signature. It makes it worth less, not more. It doesn't add anything to what Jesus has done. It only takes something away. Wake up. Snap out of it. Turn around before it's too late. Here's the question. How do we break the spell? How do we break the spell of legalism? How do we break the spell of hypocrisy? How do we break the spell of self-righteousness? How do we break the spell of, of Jesus plus Christianity? Well, the first answer is we don't. That's the bad news. We, can, we cannot unhypnotize ourselves any more than my friend Sean could unhypnotize himself. The spell of legalism is just too strong. The second answer the good news is that God can. And God does. Through divine intervention, the Holy Spirit breaks the spell. The Holy Spirit releases hypocrites from the, the spell of hypocrisy and legalists from the spell of legalism. How does he do it? The Holy Spirit breaks the spell by applying the gospel to our hearts. The Holy Spirit, the sometimes overlooked, often misunderstood third person of the Trinity, shatters the lies that we believe about God, shatters the lies that we believe about ourselves, and shatters the lies that we believe about the world. 
Now, if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to talk all about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. If you're taking notes, here's the outline. We have five big ideas this morning. Five points which warms the cockles of my Calvinist heart. (laughs) First, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of clarity. Second, we'll see that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of conversion. Third, we'll see the Holy Spirit is the spirit of change. Fourth, we'll see the Holy Spirit is the spirit of confidence. And lastly, fifth, we'll see the Holy Spirit is the spirit of celebration. The Holy Spirit breaks the spell of legalism. The Holy Spirit sets us free. How does he do it? Can he do it with us? Let's take a closer look. First big idea. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of clarity. The Holy Spirit enables us to see Jesus clearly. And that's important because you can't see the world clearly until you see Jesus clearly. You can't see yourself clearly until you see Jesus clearly. Clearly, C.S. Lewis once observed, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. See, the Galatians never saw Jesus with their own eyes. We have never seen Jesus with our own physical eyes But through the Spirit, we not only see Him, but through Him, we see everything else. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now the question is, if the Galatians didn't see Jesus... And we don't see Jesus with our own eyes. How is it that we see him? How does the Holy Spirit show us Jesus? Well, there are many ways. But the three main ways that the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, the three traditionally accepted, universally recognized ways in which the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus are through the word, through the sacraments, and through prayer. The Bible, which is the Word of God, helps us see Jesus. Through the many stories that the Bible tells, we see one story, the story of redemption. The story of how Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, died on the cross in our place to reconcile sinful people to God, and in so doing, to reconcile sinful people to one another creating the family of faith, the church of the living God. Luke 24 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, and it contains one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. In the story, Jesus is walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, just outside of Jerusalem. In the story, the people there, these two disciples, know that Jesus died on the cross because they were there. They watched him die on the cross, but they don't yet know that he's risen from the dead. And for some reason, they can't recognize him. 
They're talking to him. They say, haven't you heard about all these things that have happened? And Jesus says, tell me more. They were filled with doubts and fears because they couldn't see Jesus. And then Jesus opened their eyes to understand the scripture. They showed him, them that the whole Bible is about Jesus. And once they did, their eyes were opened and they saw him. Now, here's the takeaway from that story for modern readers of the Bible. First, they saw Jesus in the Bible. And only then did they see them with their eyes. The Bible opened their eyes. If we read the Bible, we will see Jesus, the covenants, the sacrifices, the prophets, the priests, the kings, all of those stories about how outsiders become insiders by grace through faith in the living God. It's all about Jesus. Now, sadly, I think many of us, even though we have been Christians for a long time, rarely or never see Jesus because we're not reading our Bibles. Or when we do, we get frustrated and confused because we can't understand how all the arrows and all the roads lead us to Jesus. We come to church and we listen to sermons. The gospel is preached week after week by every pastor who enters into this pulpit. And we miss it because we get distracted. We all do. I, I listen to as many sermons as anyone here. I listen to sermons all the time, and I miss it. I get distracted. My mind wanders. Oftentimes, I'm a lot like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is standing right there, and I'm completely oblivious. I miss the gospel. Let me encourage you. Read the Bible. Listen to sermons. Listen to this one. You're already here. The Bible is living and active. The Bible will come alive for you when you see the face of Jesus. The sacraments help us see Jesus. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are pictures of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The waters of baptism remind us that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And when we baptize little infants as the sign of the covenant, we are remember, reminded that we come to Christ as helpless babes with nothing to offer him, with no strength of our own. We are brought by the Holy Spirit to the waters of baptism. And when we eat the Lord's Supper together, we are reminded that the bread is the bread of life, that Jesus is the bread of life. And when we drink the cup, we are reminded of Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. We are reminded that he drank the cup of God's wrath in order that we might drink the flowing cup of joy and laughter and celebration in the kingdom of God. If you've not yet been baptized, if your children have not yet been baptized, come, tell me. I'll baptize them next week. If the elders don't object, I'll baptize them today. 
We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Come, eat, drink next Sunday and be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. Be reminded once again that Jesus gave his life on the cross that we might live. Prayer helps us see Jesus. When we pray to God the Father, through God the Son, in God the Holy Spirit, our eyes are open and we see Jesus so very clearly. We see the face of Jesus when we pray for sick people and we see them healed. We see the face of Jesus when we're scared and afraid and we ask God for his strength and he delivers his strength to us, we see the face of Jesus. We see the face of Jesus when we have opportunities to share the gospel that are divinely appointed. Just this week, David and I were, were sitting and we met with a, a person who I'd known for some time, who I have been praying for for such a, some time. And all of a sudden, kind of seemingly out of the blue, he said, hey, would you talk to me about how you became a Christian? Would you t- talk to me about what the gospel is? I never imagined that that would happen. I don't have enough faith. Apparently, David does. But that day, as God answered our prayers, we saw the face of Jesus, totally blown away. Now, here's the point. The false teachers were spreading lies and disinformation and confusion about Jesus and the gospel. They were adding layers and layers of religiosity to the gospel, so much so that they obscured Jesus, that people couldn't see him. The Holy Spirit uses simple things, like the word, like the sacraments, like our prayers to open our eyes so that we can see Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of clarity. The second big idea is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of conversion. Spirit of conversion. How do we come from spiritual death to spiritual life? How do we enter into the kingdom of God? Are we saved because of something that we do for God? Or are we saved because of something that God has done for us? Are we born again from below? Or are we born again from above? Who gets the credit for our salvation? God? Us? Mostly God? A little bit us? Verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or by hearing with faith? Paul's answer in the form of a question is that we come to Jesus by hearing through faith. In other words, we can't do anything to earn God's love, and we don't have to do anything in order to earn God's love. We don't have to be worthy enough to be saved. We don't have to be worthy enough to be forgiven. Salvation is a gift from God. We are saved the moment we hear the gospel and believe that Jesus has done what we could never do. That he has crossed that immeasurable expanse separating sinful people from a holy God. 
that he has laid down his life for us. Salvation isn't about achieving. It's about believing and receiving. If you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, and you struggle with doubts and fears and guilt and shame, if you've ever wondered, have I done enough? What more do I have to do to secure the blessings of God? Hear me clearly. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be welcomed in to the family of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of conversion, the spirit of salvation, the spirit of adoption. The gospel is good news because it's not about what you do for God, it's about what God did for you. If you believe, you're part of the family. Third big idea, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of change. Now, once we're saved, how do we grow? How do we change? How do we become more like Jesus and less like jerks? How do we make progress in in the Christian life? How do we live a life of faith? How do we have the strength to face the challenges that we face every single day? Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, having been converted by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul's answer is a resounding no. If we want to grow, if we want to change, if we want to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, we need the Holy Spirit. We grow and we change as the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our hearts. We grow and we change as we read the Bible, which is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. We grow and we change as we pray in the Spirit, as we worship in the Spirit, as we fellowship in the Spirit, making deep, meaningful friendships and relations within the family of faith, the family of God. Yeah, I think sometimes we assume, especially if we've been Christians for a long time, that the gospel is like the front door for the kingdom of God. You get into the kingdom of God with the gospel. And so the, the, the gospel is for revival meetings and for gospel calls and, and people who don't know the Lord at all. They need the gospel. Then we move on to more complicated, complex theological subjects. Well, let me challenge that assumption. The gospel is not merely the front door of the kingdom of God. The gospel is every door in the kingdom of God. It's the door to justification. It's the door to sanctification. It's the front door. It's the back door. It's the sliding door. It's the barn door that you put in your house after watching seven episodes of Chip and Joanna Gaines. (laughs) It's every door. When Jesus said, I am the door, he meant it. He is every door. That means now that we're Christians, We need more gospel and not less. We need more Jesus, not less. We need more help from God, not less. 
having begun by the Spirit, are we now being perfected in the flesh? The answer is no. We are being perfected in the gospel. We are being perfected as the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to our hearts because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of change. Fourth big idea, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of confidence. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Being a Christian is hard sometimes. Jesus famously said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. Now, some of you might be thinking, was that on the brochure? Did we talk about this in the new member class? Because uh, this seems like kind of a downer. I kind of hoped I would become a Christian and my life would improve. To be a Christian is to challenge some of the most deeply rooted assumptions of our friends and neighbors. Moral beliefs, spiritual beliefs, philosophical beliefs, in many, many ways, we are out of step with the modern world. Every single day, we are reminded that this world is not our home. And let me disabuse you if you have some idea that maybe someday it was our home. It was never our home. We are strangers here. We are exiles. We are in the world, but not of the world. Now, the question is, is it worth it? Is the suffering worth it? Is it going against the grain worth it? Is it worth it to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? When we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're discouraged, the Holy Spirit reminds us this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't be discouraged. Don't be defeated. Don't be a woe is me, the sky is falling Christian. Be strong, be courageous, be bold, be loving, love your neighbors, love God, love your enemies, love the church. Jesus wins, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of confidence. Fifth big idea, last one, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of celebration. Now, we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit trail of Greek exegesis here. So follow with me. I promise it will make sense. There is a payoff at the end of this. Verse 5, does he who supplies the Holy Spirit and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, the word that we translate supplies is a Greek word, epikorigeo. Now, let's break down that word for a minute. 
Epi is an intensifier. It means big or great or many, like epidemic. I've had many problems because of the epidemic. Epi, right? Choreo means dance, as in choreography. And hegeo comes from the word that means to lead. Think of the English word hegemony. So what happens when we put those uh, parts of the word together? We have a great leader of the dance. Here's Eugene Peterson who translated the message. He writes, In the course of usage, epichorageo came to mean to defray the cost of a dance and then metaphorically to furnish abundantly to throw a lavish dance. In other words, God supplies the Holy Spirit to us. He supplies love and joy and peace the same way the Father of the Bride supplies everything that we need to make the most epic wedding reception in the history of the world. The kingdom of God is about laughter and joy and celebration and dancing and feasting. Legalists don't dance. Legalists don't celebrate. Legalists have no joy. Legalists don't even like wedding cake. And probably not even puppies. God loves all of those things and so much more. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is a spirit of celebration. He lavishly supplies all that we need, even miraculously on occasion. And here's the good news. If you are within the sound of my voice, whether you're watching here and, and worshiping with us in person, if you're watching online, the good news is you are invited to the feast. And you don't even need a, a save the date card because it's happening today. Today is the day of joy. Today is the day of our salvation. Today is the day to celebrate the gospel of God's grace. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish Christians, who has bewitched us? Why would we ever trade the gospel of God's grace for dead works, works of the law, which do not save, which do not bring clarity and purpose and joy? It's foolishness, madness. The Holy Spirit breaks the spell. The Holy Spirit sets us free to receive the grace of God and to live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving for Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we have Jesus and the gospel of his grace. We thank you that we believe, Lord, we are unworthy. I pray, Lord God, that you would shake us out of all of these ways that we try to justify ourselves. 
that we seek to find meaning and purpose apart from you. Oh, Lord God, wake us up from our slumber that we might see Jesus. Fill us, Lord God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.